0: Hi, welcome back to the second season of Get to the Joke. I'm Mark Stoudemire, and our guest today is Brandon Jackson, a comic from Delaware who has a very popular and very amazing podcast called English for Criminals that you have to check out. Uh, he's also going to be recording his debut stand-up album at Helium Comedy Club in January. Uh, and Brandon gives one of my favorite interviews on here. He has such an incredible outlook. On his life and how he constructs jokes and how he sees his comedy career uh, both good and bad uh, I really enjoyed this time with Brandon he is um, an incredible comic and incredible guest and now subscribe to this channel and with no further ado let's get to the joke
1: Overdrafted my bank account, which surprised me because I had overdraft protection. But apparently, that's not what that is. It's not not protection. A protection racket, maybe. You know what overdraft protection is? It basically, your bank lets you spend a little bit more money than you actually have, and then they drag you to hell. And they (laughs) don't apologize for it. It's like weird, it's really deceptive because they. They handed me this pamphlet, and it had like a picture of a boy on it. He's on a bicycle with helmet and knee pads. You know, safety. But the picture, it should be a a man digging his own grave. That would be... (laughs) That bank was in the supermarket I worked at. They saw me stacking potatoes. They knew I didn't have a second bank account. Why would they sign me up for this (laughs) shit? If you went to the Grand Canyon, and there were no guardrails. You'd be like, where are the guardrails? They'd be like, oh, every time you fall off, we charge you $50. (laughs) Are you gonna come get me? No. (laughs) We're gonna charge you $8 a day until you drag your cripple carcass back (laughs) to the top of the mountain. Now you can't throw me on the back of a mule or something. Hey, buddy.
0: Hey, sorry. I have a, a camera behind you just in case this doesn't pick up. How are you? How are you doing, Brant? good to see you, man. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Yeah,
1: it hasn't been. A, I've, like, seen people. I've been going out a little bit more lately in Philly, so I've been seeing people yeah. from the comedy scene, and it's like, I haven't seen this person in a year, <laughs> but it doesn't feel, it feels like we're just picking up.
0: Yeah. Where we left off. Yeah. Well, dude, it's it's so good to see you, man. I'm I'm really happy that you said yes to doing this because you are one of my favorite comics. I always like I when you drop in and do like an open mic or you're on a show, like I know that it's that whatever you're gonna say is gonna be original, it's gonna be hilarious. Like, and part of what this is supposed to be is to kind of break down some of the people who I mm-hmm. consider like like the best of the best comics and break down kind of some of your habits and tease out some of your writing skills, how you develop jokes, mm-hmm. how you edit jokes and that kind of thing. So I'm really very appreciative that you you sat down here and did this with me. I'm very interested to learn about you. Like I said, I always look forward to hearing your jokes. And so I, I it's I think you're probably one of the comics when when people talk about like, um, hey, you know, you know, this comic's funny, but he's not really saying anything. You're one of those comics that are saying something. like people walk away knowing who you are after you tell your jokes like you're very very good at putting yourself completely out there in a very clever and original way and then also be hilarious on top of it um so i kind of want to dive all the way back and get an understanding like in a chicken chicken and the egg situation if you can remember Mm -hmm. what was what came first the realization that you were very funny and could make people laugh, especially people who were different than you, or that stand-up comedy was a career? Do you remember which one came first?
1: I don't know if I've ever come to those (laughs) realizations. I think stand-up comedy was something I started doing out of desperation.
0: (laughs) Why do you say that?
1: uh, You know, I was working, I think maybe you've heard some of my jokes about working at the youth prison. Yeah. And so when I was working there, you know, that's a tough crowd, you know. Yeah. And I felt very out of place there. And, you know, I had gone through a couple years of, you know, when I left college of just feeling like really out of place, feeling like I was being
2: judged based on things that I wasn't trying to do. Okay. Like I feel like. Like, I
1: I was always afraid of trying to be funny because I always thought people would assume I was being serious and would take me the wrong way.
3: I get that. So I would just keep
1: my mouth shut most of the time. Okay. But, you know, as I had gotten older, I just got kind of tired of people misconstruing who I was. (laughs) And I felt like comedy was the best way to just kind of, like, lay it out there. This is who I am. Yeah. I'm going to say it on my terms. I'm gonna make you listen, I'm gonna make you understand, and I'm gonna make you enjoy
0: it. Yeah, well you're you're obviously very educated. I mean you have a masters in English, don't you? A uh,
1: teaching English teaching. as a second language.
0: Okay. Um, and so like um how do you get it I mean, so obviously you're a very marketable person. So how do you first how do you even get into a youth prison and get employed there? Was that something that was that like a way of you like Giving back was there like a was there like an honorable way of going? Because I'm sure you could got a teaching no, job somewhere else. I was not
1: I was not very marketable at the time. <laughs> I I um when I was in college I barely graduated because I was just kind of fucking around, and I was majoring in I thought I was majoring in Latin American politics. Okay. But then I found out later that that wasn't a major. <laughs> I <had> imagined it,
3: <laughs> so they were like,
1: "You need to pick a major."
3: <laughs> and so
1: I ended up majoring in English with a concentration in film studies. Okay. Which was something I was really—I was always interested in film. I wanted to be a filmmaker at some point. Okay. Um, but I had that major, and it was. Uh, it was useless. There was nothing I could do with it. It's <laughs> not a hire. But at some point, I stopped putting that on my resume. I just put English. I didn't even mention the film studies wow. part okay. anymore. But I was working for a video production company, and I thought that was the direction I was going to go in. I was going to eventually work in film, but like I just never was comfortable uh, in that space, that, that specific skill set. Um, so I was actually working for a non video production company. Okay. And I was doing that through, uh, public allies, which is an Amer- AmeriCorps program.
2: Okay. And
1: so I was in AmeriCorps and then I, after that year ended, I decided I didn't want to do, I felt kind of, uh, cooped up uh-huh. in this video production company. And I had gotten a little taste through Public Allies in Americorps of like being out in the community and actually interacting with people and and kids in the community, and I wanted to do more of that. So I ended up signing up for this job, working for juvenile probation as a mentor and a youth advocate. Okay. I did that for a year.
2: Okay. And then after that was over, I kind of
1: merged both my like film video production experience and my experience working with. Juvenile delinquents, and I got this job teaching video production at the uh, youth prison.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, who who knew that the youth person had video production? I would have never guessed that in a million years that there was.
1: I think it's just
4: that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's pretty cool, man. But I mean, so going back though, like, what, what were you exposed to stand up? Is it like a kid? I don't know if your parents were real into it. You know, it, it sounds like you said that it came out of almost like a, you had a desperation or a way for you to kind of yeah. express yourself. In a way that it would be on your terms. But so it almost sounds like this was a later in life situation and that like a young Brandon Jackson wasn't uh, too much uh, aware of stand up comedy. I watched a
1: lot of stand up. Okay. I was, especially after I became a teenager. So I think starting 12, 13 years old, I was watching a lot of stand up. Bill um, Hoogley, Steve Harvey. I remember a lot of Chris Rock. I watched a oh, yeah. lot of Chris Rock.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, Kings of Comedy had come out around it, <clears throat> and I would watch that. And um, I watched those a lot. Okay. I would watch them over and over again. Oh wow! I would watch. I would listen to the albums over mm-hmm. and over again. I watched a lot of sketch comedy. I would like record
3: SNL episodes and rewatch them. Okay. And I, I
1: ingested a lot of comedy, but it wasn't from a perspective of this is something I'm going to do. Yeah. One day. I just I just loved it. Okay. And I would I would memorize bits and I would like go to the cafeteria (laughs) at lunch and I would like tell these bits to my friends. Just anybody I could find. Oh, I heard this bit, and I would just repeat word for word some Chris Rock bit that I heard to my friends. Nice. I did that for years. I did it (laughs) in college. And it never occurred to me <laughs> at all at that time that I was practicing stand up comedy. Because I'd yeah. never gone to stand up comedy. I never yeah. considered myself a funny person. Yeah, I just I loved love. stand up.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, you—I mean, it sounds like you kind of like accidentally became a student of comedy because, like, almost in the same way that like Van Gogh would copy other artists, you know, yeah. like he would just trace other artists' pictures, you know, till he got good. You pretty much did the same thing with comics that you liked and respected. Now, um, was there, did like, um, were your parents kind of like? I mean, were you kind of like the funny kid then? Were you the funny kid in the family? No, okay, never, so your this, this blew your parents out of the water then when you decided to make this yeah, uh, an it was actual. like
1: surprising to them that I. <laughs> Started doing stand. My mother doesn't think I'm funny at all. She just thinks <laughs> I'm irritating. She thinks that I say things that don't make any sense.
0: And
1: Is, is exhausted with me is at
0: she, all times. Is she supportive or is she not on board with this?
1: <laughs> yeah, she's she likes that. I do this. I thank God I wouldn't have made it to thirty four. Okay. It wasn't for stand-up comedy, so.
0: Okay. I she's glad that I'm still here. <laughs> but now, I mean, so she, you know, obviously you, you, you went to, you know, uh, college and then uh, secondary education. Um, was there any pushback from your parents or from anyone else in your life that was like, you, you, you did all this time, you racked up all this debt, and you want to pursue something that doesn't even require a GED to, uh, to accomplish? Was there any pushback? from that angle because you're a very intelligent guy and you want to pursue no, something okay not really well that's good
1: everybody kind of was like happy that i found something <laughs> to do with my time because other than that i probably would have just been i don't
0: know what i would have done <laughs> well, really well, well now I, I mean like so when you were little and you were doing these bits in the cafeteria to your friends i mean were you were you um did, was this like a class clown? Were you a class clown? Were you a funny kid? People recognize people that see you now do comedy that were your friends in high school or at least knew you in high school or middle school or whatever. Are, not, are they not surprised by this because they knew? Oh, hey, we, this was this is kind of weird. Only it took him this long to do it because he was doing this when he was I think fifteen. My
1: really close friends knew that I was really funny. Okay. I don't think anybody outside of that circle knew, and I didn't even know because I have a very dry, kind of wait. Yeah. I don't have an aggressive sense of humor. <laughs> I kind of sit in it, and I wait for, you know, the moment to attack.
0: That That is probably yeah. what I respect most about your comedy, is you are so laid back on stage. You are so confident that whatever you say is better, that's going to be better than anything else anyone's going to say that night. I mean, it's, it's intimidating. When I've been on shows with you or I see you, you will just – stand on stage and it could be a rowdy bar like the one that I like that I yeah. forget the name of that bar Rugulas or it was in Delaware that we did oh, together. Rouglas, yeah. yeah. I mean it's it's I crazy just... how confident you are and how laid back it doesn't matter. There could be a pipe bomb that goes off next door and you're gonna still do your bits and it's still gonna be the same kind of style. So are you are you this laid back and stuff in real life? Do you get angry or is this always this how Brandon Jackson is, always Is laid back?
1: I used to have a really bad temper when I was really? a kid and when I was in high school, and even in college, I would like freak out on people all the time. I definitely calmed down a lot <laughs> but, over the last ten years, but that's mostly just I'm just not in the situations I used to be in.
0: What before. what were those situations?
1: Well, I just had more choice. Okay. Over what I'm doing in my life. When I was younger, I didn't have a car. I was going where my friends were dragging. I was stuck in. Wherever I was in college, I was in my frat house, or I was in the dorm, or I was wherever it was. I was always stuck there. Okay. And I would just yeah, I'm a very irritable person. <laughs> I think people don't like realize how. Some people know, but I'm very <laughs> irritable. But the thing is, as an adult, I can always just leave.
2: Yeah. Okay. Very true.
1: Difference when I was younger. I was a kid. I was just stuck places with people. And so I would just freak out because I just wanted to leave. So,
0: so this—I mean—but so if you're if you're stuck with these people, obviously, if you're stuck with your friends, you're not as irritable mm-hmm. and freaking out. So it sounds like your environment wasn't the great. You're stuck with people that you would rather not even have in your life. Is that
1: even if it was with my friends? Okay, it was my friends. Like at some point, I just want to leave. I yeah. run out of. Okay. The ability to be around people.
0: <laughs> I mean, so do you like being alone? Is that something that you thrive on? Is this um you know, I talked about this with Pat House, like the the best part of his evening is getting back to that hotel to be by himself. Like that he looks forward to that after he's done performing. Are you very much the same way where it's that being, you know, you're very more introverted. You liked being alone and being around a group of people. And maybe that's why you're so quiet and confident because you're om- you're almost not in the environment. When you're in a comedy club, that's not the environment you would choose to be mm-hmm. in. And maybe that's why your personality is like that.
1: I think it's mostly I just get bored very easily. Okay, And I lose the ability to focus on... If something's not keeping my interest, I can't focus on it, and then I get irritated. Okay. And then I gotta leave.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now you said that you did comedy out of desperation because it was the only avenue you could take where you could express who you are. What was going Mm -hmm. on that you were being misrepresented? Was I mean? Was this something like at your job?
1: I was working at that youth prison. Yeah. And it was like a constant. You know, under attack.
2: <laughs> I can imagine. At
1: all times, <laughs> yeah. for who you were. And I didn't get along with, you know, the students were that, it was mostly it was like the people that worked there I didn't vibe mm-hmm. with. And they would make a lot of assumptions about who I was. And I, I didn't think it was appropriate for me to like really put my foot down and say, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is it.
0: Well, what were some of those because, assumptions that they were making about you
1: you know i think people assumed that i was straight okay and so that people would talk to me about stuff like i was straight yeah and it was like but then you know if you tell them the truth then all of a sudden they're like oh i didn't want to hear about that i'm like well i didn't hear what to hear about yeah. stuff that you were telling me
3: <laughs> exactly
1: so it's kind of like it was a lot of inappropriate workplace conversation, and I felt like if I had came out and been honest with people, people uh-huh. would have said that, that I was being inappropriate. Yeah. And I was exactly. like, well, you know, this isn't the appropriate place to talk about these things. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And now, I mean,
1: yeah.
0: and and you're at a, pri- you're at a prison. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a youth prison, but that doesn't mean that the crimes are any, any, you know, lighter than an adult prison. Mm-hmm. They're just separated by age. You know, what, was it the fact that you were gay? Was that a, were you afraid if you were to be your real self? Were you afraid that if the other prisoners found out or if the other guards or whatever, you know, other teachers or faculty or staff, or were well, you they,
1: did find out, and what it just what it became was it was just a huge distraction. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that I could, you know, sit there and talk to people about and say, you know, this is who I am. It wasn't an appropriate conversation. Yeah. And so people shouldn't have gotten to my business in the
0: first place. <laughs> now, what what about but the prisoners? nosy? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, but the kids were like, the kids are going to be kids, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I didn't take that personally, but it was just like, at some point I was like, he's like, y'all got to calm down. I got a job to do. Yeah. Like, this is a professional place. Like, I don't come here to try to explain myself to you people. This isn't an appropriate place for
3: it. Exactly. What? I guess. Know, on the
1: comedy stage, I can be blunt, I yeah. can be raw, and uh-huh. I can come back at people. Uh-huh. You know, I had situations where like, you know how you deal with hecklers? Uh-huh. You come back at them. Yeah, if I was dealing with kids. Sometimes I would come back at them. These are like hard criminals. I would yeah. come back, they would start
3: crying. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it was like, and then they'd be like, why were you talking to the kids like that? I'm like, they ain't killing me. <laughs> they are roasting me alive. <laughs> <laughs> Anything anytime I came out of myself, yeah, all of a sudden it was a problem. So I was just like, Well, I can't really be myself here.
0: Yeah. Well, that's crazy. I mean, here you are, you're a teacher and you're you're trying to help, you know, kids that, you know, probably will <laughs> never had help in their entire lives and it's not it's not just them that are giving you a hard time. It was the other yeah. people
1: that worked there with they were they fostered like an inappropriate mm-hmm. environment.
0: Yeah. I mean
1: and I didn't like it.
0: I, I totally understand that now what is it about you said i can on stage I can be raw in the workplace i and I get what you're saying but is um why the comedy stage if you want to be who you are why not be you know a one-man play or a or a writer or you know any kind of performance art why was it stand-up comedy that you chose then to express yourself well
1: you know I was originally after i when I was in college and when i left college, I wrote screenplays Okay. because I was a big movie buff, but it's like, I think maybe of all the screenplays I wrote, I think five people in the world have ever read <laughs> anything I've written. Okay. So that was really what it is, is stand-up comedy gives you an access to audiences, to people.
0: Okay. Now, why is it important that other people know who you are? Like I mean, obviously in the prison it wasn't the it wasn't the right situation. But let's say it was the right situation. What if there were other prisoners or other staff members that could come to you because they could relate to you on the fact that they were also gay or or or, or you know any other thing besides straight. You know, what? If, why couldn't you be that? Why? Why did it have to be? Um,
1: I just don't like people talking to me like okay. I'm not me.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: talking to me like I'm some other person that they think. I, it's awkward.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: you know, like somebody. You ever watched the movie? Um, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, it North is, by Northwest.
0: I have not seen that one. No, I was hoping you. I've seen some. I've not seen that one. No.
1: So the movie, I mean Alfred Hitchcock used to always do these. He did like a couple of movies that were like mistaken identity. Yeah. So the thing is, like, Cary Grant, he's just, like, some advertising executive. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a madman type mm-hmm. of guy. Yeah. And for some reason, he gets mistaken
3: mm-hmm. for a spy. Okay. And
1: it just, like, turns his whole—he's just, like, in a fucking mess. <laughs>
3: for, like,
1: two hours, he's getting chased, people are shooting at him, <laughs> people are talking to him about shit that he doesn't know anything about. <laughs> um, he ended up—like, some like, a plane tried to run him down. Like it's just, I heard like, that scene, people, yeah. People, when people have assumptions about you, mm-hmm. you end up having to have a conversation and having to stand for things that don't have nothing to do with you. Okay. It's exhausting.
0: I, I, can, I can understand. And, and was it the fact that you know, did it come to a head in the prison? Were these things that happened your whole life in school? You had to be closeted, or people assumed things, or then you were in the frat house, and I'm not sure what kind of fraternity it was, but maybe you had to to misrepresent yourself. Was it a whole slew of these things, and then it was just the hair that broke the camel's back at at the prison?
1: Yeah, basically I was just like, it just I started writing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in a different way. I was like, I'm not going to write these fictional stories anymore. I'm going to mm-hmm. write about myself and yeah. what I'm feeling, what I think, and how I perceive things. And then once I started doing that, it just started coming out of me and then I was like, what do I do with all of
2: this? Yeah, yeah.
0: And you right.
1: It's like, what is the medium? And it, just, it was just obvious. It was
0: stand-up comedy was it. That's awesome. Now let's talk about some of the jokes because, you know, the, you, you, how do you even write jokes about the fact that you're – first of all, I, I just say, let me ask you this. When you came out as a comedian, was the response different? Was it, is, it, is, it, is it false to assume that Philadelphia's comedy scene is liberal enough that they accepted you, or was that not, a case? Was that not the case? Did you, did you hit the same biases as a comic that you did in the prison?
1: No, I never really had a problem with that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, now how did how did you start writing jokes about being gay? I mean, obviously this is being that's a very sensitive situation. It 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 causes an anger in you when people misrepresent you and stuff like that and when yeah. and you have and people are making, you know, fun at you, fun at you or whatever it happens to be. So how do you write a joke that can respect who you are? but then address the fact that you're gay and that it's not very obvious I mean the joke that you have on there is like I don't have time to to talk about yeah. I can so obviously you're're you're, you're referring to the fact that it's not, it's not the stereotype that people automatically assume that yeah so how do you write a I joke mean, like that because it's a great it joke
1: came from, it came from the Raven you know where I was there getting pushed it to clean out the a raven is two o'clock in the morning you go on when you first yeah. start going there and i was just like i had this you know this audience of people that are nodding out and the hosts aren't even paying attention to yeah. you so it's like what do you what can you say to get people's attention that really focuses people on you and who you really are uh-huh. and uh It was just kind of a true statement. It's like, it's not an easy thing for me to explain. It doesn't make sense when I first tell people. (laughs) And there's not really anything that I can do to prove it to Mm -hmm. people that would be appropriate. So, (laughs) So it's just like it is what it is you know yeah that was just me being honest
0: you know yeah well that's i mean that's great and that's something that i struggle with and 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 it's it's remarkable that you are able to find the if you're able to be yourself and be confident in, and it's funny it's not like you don't do hack stuff based on this kind of thing so you know when you when you're pulling together your jokes and a lot of your jokes i mean your jokes are pretty much um Things have happened in your life, um, so what? So let's talk about kind of like how you get ideas for material. I, I is do you sit down and think over your life and weird interactions, or you know you want to talk, you want to make sure you're represented well and and people walk away with a one hundred percent picture of who Brandon Jackson is. Mm-hmm. So how do you then come up with ideas? I'm sure it's very different than somebody like Jerry Seinfeld who notices a weird sign on the street and can write it down mm-hmm. in a book, and then that becomes a bit. I'm assuming yours is more introspective than than that. So how do you, if you can think of some of the jokes, like jokes about you know your time, your, the, you know the teacher at the prison, or. The one I love was the overdraft fee. That was just a great, I mean, oh my God, that's such a fucking good joke. Um, but, you. Uh, you know, the bus, you know, like how do you come, how do you kind of sit down and come up with some of those bits, develop that idea?
1: It's really, it's really like whatever is weighing on me, I think a lot. It's really hard for me to turn my brain off. Yeah. It's like whatever is weighing on me, whatever I'm having anxiety about, it's something that I'm arguing with myself about, uh-huh. I'm thinking about it, and eventually it just kind of, comes out as a bit okay i don't really sit down and try to force writing anything just because i've never really had any success writing that way okay um but it's just like i'm just thinking about things it's my daily life what i'm thinking about and sometimes things come out come to become a bit (laughs) then from there you know you mold it yeah you work on it
0: But, I mean, these are all very much things about who you are and that kind of stuff. Is it hard for you to not do jokes? Like, um, is it just your brain isn't like that of an observational comic or a one-liner? Is it your brain doesn't even function that way? Or do you disregard material if you see, like, a bizarre situation and it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with you? Is that discounted in your act? Is it always going to be, I need to make sure that this act is about things that I've experienced about who I am, my interactions, my relationships, my friendships, mm-hmm. is it always about those things? Or could it be outside the box of storytelling and, and personal um, insights?
1: Listen, I tried everything to hack to try to, it's not <laughs> that I didn't try to do it. Yeah. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, And I think it's because I'm not, I'm not good at being insincere. Yeah, I'm just not good at it. And people, I think the audience can can see when I'm being, um, you know, the way I look at it is that uh, I think a lot of it, I think people who can go on stage and can talk a lot of bullshit mm-hmm. and be kind of hacky, yeah, it's because they assume the audience can't tell what they're doing. Okay, yeah. That's what gives them the freedom just to be like, I'm going to go up here and say a bunch of bullshit. Nobody knows that I'm bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. Like a, that's just what they do. But for me, I'm paranoid. I think everyone can see for me at all times. <laughs> so it's like, why bother trying to bullshit people? They're going to be able to tell anyway. Yeah. Might as well just be honest.
0: Are are you, are you tortured? Do you feel like you're a tortured person? See, I mean, things that you just mentioned, you're paranoid, things that you're anxious about, and you talked about, like, this anger that you had when you were little, and that, you know, do you feel that there is a struggle? Like, do, do you feel like that, like, do you do you know who you are? Do you think that you figured yourself out yet at this point?
1: No, not at all. Okay. And this is all a journey of, of self-discovery. Like, if I knew who I was, I would, you know, you have a different life. <laughs> you know, I'm doing stand-up comedy because I'm trying to figure it out. It's like comedy can be kind of like echolocation. You know how like, mm-hmm. whales and dolphins kind of yeah. like just put out sounds and see what reflects back to figure out where they are? Yeah. That's what comedy is to me. I'm just kind of putting stuff out there, seeing how people react to it, and then I'm like, all right, that makes sense. That's a part of who I am. Like, oh, wow. Badge on
0: just a quick plug and we'll get right back to the show. Have you checked out my website, markstaud.com? It gives you a whole wealth of information To how to see me live at shows you can catch past Get to the Joke episodes and bonus content. And you can also check out some stand-up videos for myself. Please check out my website. Again, that's markstaud.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-A-U-D.com. Come see me live. Also, please, once again, subscribe to this channel. Like our videos, leave a comment. I'll get back to you. Now let's get back to the joke. All right. Now that's that, that's yeah. interesting that you just said that because you, you you talk about making sure that you're not misrepresentate you know misrepresent. Gosh, I can't talk now. I'm sorry. That you're not misrepresented. That people know who you are. But it's almost like if you say something and the audience grabs onto it and likes it, it becomes who you are. Now what if that's not who you are? If if you if it's well, a you new know, bit. Definitely...
1: Yeah, I definitely have jokes that I've done that audiences like where I'm just like, I don't want to <laughs> do that anymore, yeah. Yeah. even if the audience likes it. So it's like you're trying to find the middle ground of what is it that I am really want to say mm-hmm. that the audience is also picking up on. Mm-hmm. So now you're finding something that you have deep feelings about yeah. that other people also recognize mm-hmm. in you. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a really, that you're finding how you connect with people. Yeah. Here's something that I feel deeply and audiences also connect with it.
0: Okay. Now let's go back, let's go back to um, you telling the audience that you're gay. If an audience, how do you, how do you get an audience on board with that? There are areas of, unfortunately in this country where mm-hmm. they automatically would shut down as soon as they hear I'm sure you've seen it. And so you're, so oh, yeah. how I've are you? Shut down, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, has, I mean, I, you know, so how are you connected when you, when you put out an idea, not an idea, but um, when you put out something about who you are and you can tell the audience is uncomfortable, can you, and it's very new, obviously you your, your bit about coming out is, has been developed and been worked on, but mm-hmm. if you can kind of think back to maybe the very early stages of that joke, when you really don't know, what you're doing with it yet how do you find out that you're connecting with an audience who maybe disagrees or thinks that it's a choice or thinks you know or what or whatever it happens to be like how do you can how do you work out a bit like that so that you can connect with people like that
1: I think the thing the, the thing about that joke it's it's me saying you know this is who I am
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I also understand that it's strange for some people. Mm-hmm. So it's like me saying, "This is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm
2: not going to back down about it. Mm-hmm. But
1: I also understand this. This might be challenging for some people, and yeah. I'm not judging you for that. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't judge me either. So yeah, kind of like being like an equal footing. Yeah, like this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like it, but just understand I'm going to talk about
2: it. Yeah, okay.
1: And I also understand." it's just like kind of empathizing with the audience. It's like, I think there's a lot of attitude about like in comedy where people feel like if they're a part of a marginalized group, that it's, you know, the responsibility of the audience to empathize with you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this isn't human resources. You're (laughs) entertaining. Yeah. You're on the stage. The people paid to see the show. Mm -hmm. It's your job to make people comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I have an overarching goal, I want to talk about the larger things that I want to talk about. Yeah. So first, I need to make the audience comfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I get that, and, and I like that. I like the the HR bit or the HR part of that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I guess now, when you talk, when I guess when you talk to an audience and the audience is uncomfortable for the first time, this is not the first time you've talked, you've told somebody, and they've yeah. been uncomfortable about. It. I mean, you in reference that your mom was not on board the first time you, now, is that true? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that something yeah, that, that was that, true exactly or
4: is it true? Yeah, it's a true story.
0: So what was that like then when you, I mean, how, I guess you said you were 17 when you came out to your mom. Now, what mm-hmm. did, uh, was it something that like, was it a bad story where it was like, I mean, you hear about people that are like kicked out of the house and want nothing to do with mm-hmm, or whatever. No. Okay. So that that's been, okay. That's good.
1: No, I think my mother just was like concerned. You know, that was what the thing was. She was just kind of expressing concern. Yeah. She was, like, worried that something had happened or that (laughs) something was going to happen to me. So that's how I took it. The thing about it that was, like, really crazy was I really had that feeling of, like, being exposed. Yeah. It was something that I had kept in. I hadn't told anybody. Uh And I remember, like, laying in bed that night just feeling just kind of like, my chest had been ripped open
0: yeah and, wow yeah
1: and it's like a weird feeling
0: what i mean why so i mean if you can kind of this is kind of what this show is a little bit about too Is kind of like you know getting to know you on a level that i've never known you before mm-hmm. if you can kind of walk me through you you tell your mom this and then you and then between the time that you tell her and you're in bed and it feels like your 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 stomach was ripped open what was that space in between that led to that feeling? Obviously, as she embraced you with open arms, you wouldn't have felt so ripped open. Was it just like she shut down and walked away? Or what? what is it that it, that occurred there?
1: I just remember just like not being, it uh, just kind of like I had to tell her. Mm-hmm. It was like the same thing with comedy where I was just like, I didn't want her to misconstrue who I was anymore. Yeah. I was tired of you you imagine like you ever have a misunderstanding with someone? Yeah. Yeah. It's awkward, Mm -hmm. it's confusing, it's stressful. Imagine if your whole life is a misunderstanding. Oh gosh. it's, It's 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 a lot and it's eventually you get to the point where it's like I need to clear this up. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm just gonna be under this burden forever.
0: Yeah. Now, has she has she come around today? Is she accepting, or is it still yeah, yeah, okay? She, she <laughs> now, I mean, now where's now? Was it was there other was there other blowback from other family members? I don't know what your dad's situation is. I don't know if you have siblings yeah. or what. What happened? You know, with, no. So it's just I your. Told my
1: dad many years later. Okay. And I had a bit about that too, but. He was just kind of like he was like I'm not happy about this, but you yeah. know
0: yeah. me and my dad were always close. So okay, we cool. that's cool, that's good. So wait, wait, if you guys were closer, then why did it take you so much longer to tell him?
1: This is awkward because you know, my dad. Okay. You
0: know, yeah, um, I guess like when you when you kind of bridge that gap with your parents, does it make it easier to bridge the gap with the audience on stage? Obviously, you and your mom are on way two different ends of the of the playing field. And now it's been mended. And do you, when do you, can it get, when you see an audience that's on the other end, then from you, like when you're doing a show in the middle of nowhere, and you see, mm. it, do you know how to bridge that quicker then, then versus like doing it in the city?
1: Um, it just depends, you know. I've done, I'm thinking of like a show I just did recently, and I think I did. Mm hmm. I think I did one of your wine shows. It was like somewhere <laughs> up in I north,
0: could see where this get yeah. Right in
1: north of Pennsylvania it was yeah. like
0: um was it Blue uh, Mountain up uh, in Nutley? I
1: think so it was when Mary Mary Wazinski was yep. headlining I think. Yeah. So I've done I've done shows my problem with shows like that is yeah. that the audience is too specific. <laughs> and that's where I get in trouble. Where cause yeah. what happens is if the audience is a bunch of different people Yeah. I can kind of like it's kind of like buckshot. Mm-hmm. I can kind of scatter shot them.
2: Yeah. But what I
1: noticed with specific audiences, and I did like a dinner party a couple weeks ago or a mm-hmm. month ago in uh, North Philly, where when I start opening up about things, yeah, instead of the audience kind of relating to me, yeah. They start group thinking, linking up with each other, yeah. and then they end up sharing a bunch of related thoughts that they have, and I end up left out. <laughs> Do
0: you and mean I verbally?
1: Have any control.
0: Do you mean verbally? They're no, talking it's
1: like oh. psychologically. No, they're like linking up mentally. Yeah, like it, like it's like um, like they're psychic. <laughs> they just start looking at each other, and it's like they all thinking the same thing. <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's like you feel like you're Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> but that's only when, you know, you're doing a show where it's like a bunch of different people that all know each other Yeah, they came there together. And I don't like doing shows like that because yeah. it doesn't really work for the way I do comedy because I, I, I don't, I'm not the type of person to go up there and just be like, who are you? What do you do? I, blah, 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 blah. I don't do a lot. I, like, yeah. I just talk about what I think and how I perceive the world. It's very thinky. Yeah. So if people all know each other. They're going to start reflecting on each other about what I'm saying.
3: Okay. And then
1: and then it's like all their background knowledge based on who I am. And then it's like, do I address that? Do I try to figure out Yeah. what they're talking about? And it's like, I, I, really not interested.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> now, I, you know, was this something that this, this kind of, um, you know, you know who you, you, know who you are, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna um, fluctuate from that. Was that how you started when you started doing stand up, or like, or were you someone who would have bent in a situation like that when you first started, like, would you would have gave <laughs> yeah, to yeah, them
1: definitely. and got their approval? Definitely.
0: Okay, so how did definitely. you learn to to not give a
1: shit just about never, just never worked okay i cannot pander to people it doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. people don't buy it Mm -hmm. people don't believe me (laughs) so it's just like i just have to be myself nothing else works
0: okay all right oh cool i i but so that this kind of going back to this these anxieties that you have and this paranoia with you know how you're coming off though as much as you try to put up and, and talk about how, you know, it's like, it doesn't work for me to misrepresent myself or even bend a little bit into an area where I'm not um, completely comfortable going, you do experience anxiety and paranoia about what the audience is thinking about you. So, how do you, is that something that you're just going to have to, like, learn to deal with and live with as a stand-up comic, or are you working towards... You know, kind of getting control of those anxiety and paranoia and, and stuff. Well,
1: when I'm doing stand-up all the time, you mm-hmm. know, I eventually get comfortable and I figure I get a rhythm going mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I figure out how to kind of connect with my audiences. And, you know, it's really just it's the same thing as, like, shooting a basketball. You're just trying to get in rhythm, just getting a lot of reps.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's no philosophy to it. You just got to get comfortable.
0: Yeah. Okay. Is there a reason that you don't talk about ideas that you have? Like you don't talk about your standpoint on religion or your standpoint on um, you know, you know, it's uh you do have I mean with race you do, but it's you don't I mean are are you doing like maybe topical racial issues or do you stay away from those? Well, I'm trying to think it's like ideas that you have cuz being gay is who you are. But ideas mm-hmm. as far as politics and religion and, and socioeconomic statuses and, and race and, and stuff like that. Do you have jokes where you give the audience your set of beliefs or is that territory that you don't go down because it's it's an idea, not a part of your DNA makeup?
1: I do, and but those are probably longer bits and okay. you probably wouldn't see them okay. in... Okay. Videos that I have in my sets. Yeah. I definitely did a lot more of that this summer when things were opening back up. Yeah. Um, But I definitely have my own ideas on things. I think sometimes I am expressing my ideas, but because they're not typical of the current political discourse, I think people maybe don't recognize them as political opinions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I maybe. Kind of split the difference and hedge, maybe a little bit. Not because I'm trying to be a coward or anything yeah. like that. It's just because that's just how I really feel.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I mean, so I mean, obviously, you do you do you do political humor or not? And by by political humor, I don't mean like just Trump jokes or or whatever mm-hmm. or Hillary jokes. But like, do you is it do you do you make sure that you are writing material that is topical and talks about current things going on right now, like George Floyd and, and Black Lives Matter and uh, any of the other, like, you know, the, the, the insurrection at the Capitol. Are you yeah. are these things that you write about or is it like you want a bit that will will stay without time and, and maybe some of these things are current in the moment things and maybe 10 years from now won't be, like, super yeah. I,
1: awesome. was, I was talking about a lot of that stuff this summer. Mm-hmm when things were just opening up in, in Delaware yeah. there was like this one open mic and it was just like I had a lot of stuff to get off my chest. Yeah. And I did talk about a lot of that stuff, but as I've gotten back Yeah, I write a lot of bits. Yeah. And then when I have a, when I end up with an opportunity to showcase Yeah. I wanna do the bits that I think are really funny, Mm the ones that I think are really relatable and and translate, and the the jokes that are the most consistent, and that usually is not the political material.
0: I get it. I get it. So, can you kind of walk me through, then, when you do write something where you are writing from a certain viewpoint, and you know that there is a equal and opposite viewpoint to what you write. How do you write a joke like that so that you can, kind of going back to how you tell people that you're gay, you say like, hey, you know, you address it and kind of like say, hey, I understand it's strange for you. You're, you're kind of bringing them in yeah. and you're like making it okay for them to be a little bit weirded out about it, which again why we still do that at 2021 beyond mm-hmm. me, but um, uh, how do you do that now with things that are more fluid, like political mm-hmm. thought. I mean, your political thought could be different ten years from now. We don't know, but you know. So, tell me how you kind of approach a joke that way.
1: I remember one of my favorite favorite comedians ever is uh, Patrice O'Neill. Oh yeah, and Patrice O'Neill yeah. would say a lot of crazy <laughs> up things that probably no one agrees
3: with. But <laughs> the the reason that those jokes worked was that he never approached it from
1: the idea of this joke is about how I'm right about this. That's what a lot of people do with political uh-huh. jokes. Uh-huh. The point of this joke is that I'm right and that people who disagree with me are wrong. Okay. Well then obviously, <laughs> you know, you're drawing a line in the sand with yeah. that joke. Uh-huh. You know? What Patrice would do is it's like I'm not presenting this joke to the audience as an argument. But it's an illustration. It's an illustration Mm. of how I feel Mm -hmm. and how I see the world. Mm -hmm. And I understand that it sounds ridiculous to people. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to lean into that ridiculousness and make it absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. I'm just like, I understand that people have different views about this and i understand that my idea could sound crazy to some people so i'm going to acknowledge that but i'm also going to try to make you understand where i'm coming from but it's not this argument of like i'm right you're wrong yeah i just don't see the world that way
0: okay um so i i like so yes yeah, so i see i see what you're what, with that bid and trying to not be like i'm right you're wrong you're pretty much this is how I feel, and 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 this is, um, you know, my, my. You bring it back to your experience, which I think is important. Do you have a joke where you don't have an experience to back it up with, that you make a point on? Whether it's. Yeah, maybe, I've
1: gotten and I've gotten booed.
0: Oh really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, would your advice be don't don't do jokes then? That if it's like, hey, if I, if for instance, like, is re, is religion the hardest? topic to, to tackle in comedy.
1: I was listening to um, another podcast. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's this guy, Harrison Tweet, has a podcast about comedy. He's a com- comedian in New York.
2: Okay, um, and He was interviewing a comic
1: and the comic he was interviewing made this brilliant argument about, you know, audiences getting offended or audiences getting sensitive. And I think People make this assumption that when audiences don't like a joke, it's because they're sensitive or because they're offended by the topic. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you ask the audience, they would say that. They would say, oh, I was offended by that topic. Mm -hmm. But I think in reality, you can get away with saying, um, talking about anything.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And what the argument that this comic made was he said, um, you know, The responsibility as the artist, as the performer on stage, you have to do the heavy emotional lifting for the audience.
0: Okay. What does that mean? You're. I guess. What does that that mean?
1: It means you have to do it. You have to think through this idea and do the work of thinking a lot about it and trying to make it funny and trying to dig deep into it and Mm -hmm. find the interesting kernel and the punch Mm -hmm. that hits the audience. That's your job. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes uh, comedians will just take a bunch of uncomfortable ideas Mm -hmm. and just throw it. At the audience. Yeah. And then the audience is stuck there trying to juggle with all, they're just like, what do I do with Catholic child molestation? Yeah. You you? <laughs> like it's just like it becomes a burden. Yeah. That you're putting on the audience. So, you know, you have to be sure that when you do the bit, that you're getting the ideas out of quickly and that the joke is hitting the audience with a punch. hmm And not uh a series of waves of stress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but that's the that's the difference. That I mean, so like I think a lot of their like a lot of comedians are like, oh, the audience was sensitive and they didn't like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe you didn't think through it. Yeah. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, maybe you yeah. didn't organize this well, and the audience is spending too much time sitting there thinking. Yeah. About the uncomfortable topic that you brought up. mm Hmm. Um, And then there's also, you know, uh, this is a whole nother point. Sometimes you're not a famous comedian and you just don't have the credibility (laughs) with an audience to get away with bringing up these topics. They don't trust you.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: Like somebody goes to see Louis C.K., if they're a big Louis C.K. fan, if he just goes, Louis C.K. just goes, so a child rape and, like, he'll be... (sighs) There's a lot of people who aren't Louis C. K. fans, like, oh my god, he's talking about child rape, but then yeah. like there's his fans are gonna be like, Oh, I wanna see what he, he does he, with this.
0: Yeah. I say. And it
1: has nothing to do with the actual topic. It has to do with
0: the precedent, that's been me, set. the audience yeah. wants
1: to see what this guy does with this topic. Yeah. You wanna see them do the the mental hula hoops, you know.
0: Okay. I like that. Oh, man. <sighs> Um, so let's talk about your joke writing um uh, we we've we talked about how your like, approach to certain topics were, but let's talk about the actual joke the actual joke. and um, you thank you very much for sending me the screenshots of your of your bit for the digital houses. I think that was great mm-hmm. um. And maybe walk into. I think what you're, what it sounds like this. If you want to give some background to people, like I'm, I'm gonna put this up on the on the web or on the on the web series. Your your examples that you sent. But if you if you're using an analogy, which is where I thought you were going with the way you kind of mapped it out or whatever, mm-hmm. can you can you first describe how you came up with the overdraft protection analogy? Because I love that joke. That joke was so. Good and funny, and the analogy between the you know overspending in your account and falling off the mm-hmm. Grand Canyon was a great analogy. So, can you kind of approach how you tackled that analogy and how you write the, wrote that specific joke and came up with it, and then kind of talk about your process now with this digital house um, joke that you're developing?
1: The overdress thing came kind of naturally. That was just like the first. Idea that came to me. I was just talking to myself about (laughs) it and I was like, what is this like? And the cliff thing came to me. And, uh, from what I remember that came very quickly.
2: And
1: it was one of those jokes that it just kind of came out fully formed.
0: Wow. Okay. You said you yeah. talk to yourself. What does that mean? Do you not write anything down? I just
1: kind of ramble to myself. Yeah, I can't really do much by sitting and writing. Okay. It's not really, I have to get up. I actually have two different <laughs> writing processes. I would There's love to hear one them. With me, kind of just wandering around the kitchen, you know, the kitchen island. Yeah. I'm just Kind of walking in circles around it, talking to myself. And the other process is me like laying in bed, wrapped up in two covers and sheets, and just kind of talking to myself laying in bed <laughs> and I don't know what it is it's like either walking or being very stationary but like I, I could not write a joke like this like sitting in a chair okay
0: <laughs> well I mean that that's now that now let me tell you so you're you're walking around your kitchen I, I, I want to be there in the room with you which would probably make you very uncomfortable if I was just watching you. <laughs> but, but you know, you're walking around the kitchen island or you're in your bed and you're com- and you're talking to yourself, talking to yourself, and you come up with this analogy between overspending Grand Canyon. Does that just stay in your mind until you can get to a stage, or do you have to jot it down? Do you throw in your phone? Yeah,
1: I write down the main ideas that okay. I'm thinking. I usually don't try to write things out word for word until I've been doing the joke for a while.
0: Okay. It, does that get developed on stage then, or do you have a pretty good outline that you follow on stage? Or do you go on stage with maybe knowing, like, hey, I got 50% of it down, and the other 50% is going to come out in the next 15 minutes while I'm up here? I
1: usually I usually come on stage with – I have my formula. My, okay. Not a formula, but I have my um, – My outline. I have my outline of ideas. So there's there's the premise, and then there's the setup, and then there's my punchlines and my tags. Mm -hmm. And I don't think of it that way, Mm -hmm. but I have them. And I'm also thinking of the rhythm that I'm going to say it in, how I'm going to time it, um, how I'm thinking that the audience might react to different parts of it. By the time I bring a joke to the stage, I've thought about all of that.
0: What do you mean by rhythm? What do you mean the rhythm that you're gonna tell a joke? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, like where the pauses are, okay. where where you uh, where the intonation is, where um, where to stop, where I might speed up. Okay. Uh, I don't write that down. Yeah. It's just something I'm practicing in my mind. I'm like, what is the where where I gotta think of the, when I was. So, I got like my, you know, so I got my master's degree in teaching English as a second language. So, I studied linguistics. And one of the most important classes I took, I took this um, advanced methods in teaching um, listening and speaking. And it talked about, there was this book that we read called Clear Speech. Okay. And it talked about like what actually makes, speech intelligible uh-huh. what makes speech coherent how what makes speech especially in english what makes it easy for people to understand uh-huh. and that's basically what a, a punch line is when people laugh yeah they're laughing because they've understood a lot of information at yeah. one time yeah it's a dense, right and so it's kind of like a punch, like a punch. <laughs> there's a lot of power yeah there's a lot of ideas that they've connected Mm-hmm. Between your setup and your punchline, and it's all hitting them at once. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the best way to do that is you have to be careful about how you say things. So um, I'm trying to think of the example. Uh, I think the biggest mistake you can make in comedy is talking past the audience.
0: Okay. What this? What? What? What do you mean by that?
1: you said more things than the
0: audience can understand okay yeah right yeah you're talking they need
1: they still need time to process the last thing you said and now you're saying the third thing
3: okay so how are they gonna
1: how are they gonna laugh at the third thing you said when they haven't finished thinking about the first thing you said that's timing that's what comedic timing is yeah i've said this i'm waiting for the audience to To process that, Uh then I say the next thing, I wait for them to process that, and then I say the next thing, and they're ready to process that. That's all comedic time it is. You're just kind of anticipating how long it takes the audience to understand something and when they're ready to digest the next idea. Because if you say the punchline and they're still thinking about the setup, it's not going to hit.
0: Okay. So, not ready. so how do you mitigate that? How do you make sure um, when you're writing the setup, especially if you're putting a lot into that setup, you talked about the fact that you're putting a lot of information in at one time. And so the punch can be delivered. What are some of the stuff, things that you do to make sure that the audience is understood? I mean, you talked about timing. I get that part, but, but the, the content of what you're saying, how do you, how do you, what are some of the processes that you do? to understand if the audience is getting on board with what you're saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't have much to do with the content. It's about okay. being in the room and okay. just kind of being able to perceive the feelings in the room. Okay. I can feel it. I can feel it. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else can, but like, it's cause I also, I teach. Yeah. And so, and I teach foreign, I teach
2: foreigners. Yeah.
1: I teach English to foreigners. So I need to always be aware of how much my students understand, okay, and whether they're ready to move on, yeah. And if they're not ready to move on, then I gotta go back, okay. Or I have to give them more time to process, okay. So that's something you just build up an intuition about, and I think great comedians also do that. They build up an intuition about how people normally process information.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. I mean, it's, 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 I like that example where you're taught. I mean, well, your real life experience with teaching foreigners and then checking for comprehension and then doing the same on stage. Now, I would argue that you are under almost like a, a, a time bomb on stage, meaning that, like, when you're in the classroom, you're much more relaxed. You can take your time, you can, you know, put out the information. See if they're on board, judge it, do it again, or go on. I mean, there's a, I, it doesn't seem like you're You're almost trying, you know, like to take as much time as you need in the class. or more on stage. Do you feel the pressure to be like, I have to say something funny in the first 10 seconds, or this show is going to go off the rails real quick?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel that pressure anymore. When okay. I was younger and I first started doing stand-up, you, you felt like, I have to say something, I have to get... Like, I remember rushing. I would rush to the punchline. I'm like, I got to get to the punchline right away. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to lose the audience. That was some idea I had in my
3: head.
1: I got to say the joke so fast that the audience doesn't have time to focus on something else. Yeah. And that was completely wrong. Yeah. You have to give the audience time to process things.
2: Okay. I remember
1: I. My, I, my mother has a friend from New York who she's mm-hmm. a very religious lady, and she mm-hmm. sends us all these, like, Bible... Yeah. Uh, Scriptures. Verses all the time. Yeah. Scripture. And, yep. um, and so one time she was here staying with us, and she was like, your mother's been telling me about your comedy. I want to see it. I want yeah. to see it. And I was like, oh, God, I think that she's going to, like... <sighs> freak out at me about the content (laughs) of this bit so like i showed a video and it was like me at helium
3: Mm
1: -hmm. this is from a long long time ago it was from like uh five years ago Mm -hmm. so i showed a bit and i'm expecting her to be like i can't believe you're talking about these things you should be ashamed of yourself this jesus doesn't like this I, i was that's what i was expecting yeah but she was from New York. She's yeah. from 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 the Bronx. Yeah. So she listened to it and she goes, "What is this? What what is this? I don't know what this is." I'm like, "It's my comedy." I'm like, "Is it a problem?" She's like, "This isn't comedy." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, why not?" She's like, "There's people
3: laughing and you're talking over them." <laughs>
1: like I can't, I just like I can't understand what you're saying because you're talking over yourself. You're talking over the audience and it was like she really understood comedy
3: yeah (laughs) i wasn't
1: expecting that (laughs) this one, i was like a year and a half in she was like she's like you gotta she's like you gotta wait you gotta be patient
0: yeah (laughs) that's cool that's cool i like that story i um now kind of going back to this the joke you sent me for the for the digital houses can you kind of walk me through your process right now kind of give it to me from the walking around the island or in the bed standpoint and what you're doing to cultivate this joke. First of all, where'd the idea come from, that
1: joke? I just saw a story on CNN where they were like, somebody spent $500,000 on a digital house. And I was like, it's one of those news stories where it's like, most news headlines, I just read them and (laughs) I'm like, I can understand what they're talking about. I'm like, all right, I don't need to read this. But this is one of those where I gotta. I don't know what the fuck this means. <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I have no idea what this means. It's <laughs> usually how I end up clicking on an article. Yeah. So I clicked on it and I found out that it was... Somebody had them to design like a digital house. Like, like a house that would be like in a video game.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And this person bought this. And I was like, I don't understand why you would pay... $500,000 for something like anybody could get, but it was like It's like encrypted Okay <laughs> So that nobody else can get it or if they do get it, it would be like something you could be like that's my house
3: <laughs>
1: I mean, on My computer there's like yeah. this you got my house on your computer. <laughs> like, is that trespassing? If somebody has their house, has your house on their computer, can you shoot them? <laughs> Just because they have your house on a flash drive. <laughs> what I was thinking of. Like, can you get fucking, what is it? The um, Can you stand your ground in somebody else's bedroom so, because I, they have your house on their
0: computer. I already like where your head's going. So you're you're making this news story that is very bizarre and, has. I mean, I've never heard of anything like this, very unique. And now you're putting some very topical current event-y context on Obviously, yeah. all the stuff you're hitting on is in the news. So now where does this grid come into place? You sent me a grid, which I'm going to flash up here yeah. right now. Where does that come in? How does that work out in your process? So
1: the grid, I don't usually use the grid. To write jokes.
3: Okay. The grid I came up with just to kind
0: of. I have a a bunch of different comedy books. What do you mean by that? I have some of them. Oh, I'd love to see
1: them. So if anybody is watching this, they wants to learn, send this to you to Comedy. I think I have another book down. Uh, Let's see it. Alright, so. I have Comedy Writing Secrets. Okay. By, um Mel Hell all these books are written by Jews.
3: <laughs>
1: the the comedy Bible I think everyone knows this one. I
3: have that one too, yeah. This
1: one is like I fuck it, I fuck this
3: book
1: up. It's like in pieces. I don't <laughs> no know what shit. happened, but it's like everything came I tore through it too many times. So. <laughs> Um, I have the Writer's Journey, which is more of a story writing book. Okay. About screenwriting and writing books. And okay. Kind of stuff like that, and this is the book Clear Speech that I oh, was yeah. talking about. About. This yeah. Is like a listening speaking textbook, and I also have this book Poking a Dead Frog. Okay. I didn't really I didn't really like this book.
3: <laughs>
1: I didn't find it very helpful. Okay.
3: But
1: I basically took. Everything that um, I learned from the different comedy books and comedy websites and mm-hmm. comedy blogs that I read, mm-hmm. and I tried to create a cognitive tool out of it. So basically, a cognitive tool is something we use in teaching language,
4: mm-hmm.
1: where the idea is that uh, if you study educational psychology, they tell you, like, it's somewhere in the books, they'll tell you, like, exactly what is the, like, the estimation of how many megabytes your brain can hold and focus on okay. at one time. Okay. And so there's a limit. Your brain yeah. can only focus on so much information at one time.
2: Yeah. And that gets into the
1: how you're talking about how much can audiences process
2: yeah. before you
1: tell them the next thing. Yeah. You got to think about that. How long do you think? It might take them to understand this before they're ready to hear something else so uh, what a cognitive tool is is you create like a chart where people can write down ideas and organize them to hold that information so that they don't have to hold it in their brain
3: okay all right makes sense
1: therefore, they have mental space in their brain free to process and be creative and they don't have to use that space to hold information because it's on it's in the cognitive tool
0: okay cool so t- give me so, an idea of like that the the grid that you're using then so how does that relate to the grid with the rec- vinyl so records in the, the digital house
1: so the grid is uh, I, I tried to figure out let me pull this up should sure, go ahead Just so i can look at
0: it <laughs> no problem this is cool man this is great i'm this is very intellectual. I appreciate it's it.
1: Not coming up. Out there, new joke chart. What the fuck? <laughs> Come on now. Being oh here it is. So basically, I'm trying to write down ideas so that I can just put them in a chart, so I don't have to hold them in my brain. Yeah. The idea is it free is that it would free you up to be more creative. Okay. So I'm trying to think. What is the topic? Mm-hmm um what is my attitude about the topic what is the target this is stuff that i got out of the comedy books yeah and then i try to think of what is the context that the audience understands this topic what are they thinking about this topic yeah what are their expectations yeah and then i think how can what's realistic about this topic and then how can i exaggerate it because one of the things you have to do with a joke you have to ground it in something realistic, mm-hmm. otherwise, the audience can't understand it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Well, so, what do you mean by that? I guess what may you mind clarifying that? It has to be, it has to
1: exist in a space that, that, that the audience can imagine that's okay. real, something that they can relate to. Otherwise, oh. it's like, why would they have an emotional response to it I see if it's not saying. real?
0: So you're talking about a digital house. The audience is not going to not going to relate to a digital house. No one, no none of them are going to have a digital house. They probably never read that article. So you're saying that, that you need to compare it then to something else that they would be able. To. Is that am I on the right track with that? My understanding that correctly.
1: Well, I think the thing that. Well, the reason a lot of people do topical humor is you can talk about ridiculous things, yeah, and you can say, "Well, I saw it in the paper, so it's real."
3: Yeah.
1: So you can't fucking question it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just
3: like
1: that's it. But you know, most of the time, if you're not doing topical humor, you have to say something that audiences can kind of relate to.
2: So, yeah. Okay. Cool, man.
1: Um, so for the digital houses thing, it doesn't really fit into that. The real. People can be like, oh, okay, I understand. Then you can start exaggerating and saying, Oh, when I say like shooting someone because they have yeah, a copy of your house <laughs> on their computer, yeah. that's mm-hmm. an exaggeration. Um,
0: do you tend and, and to lean more towards exaggeration or do you like to make it silly? I feel like those are two different things. Like comics when they want to approach something very <laughs> not, I mean, digital houses is not a serious topic. But I've noticed when comics want to do something that's, you know, they're trying to get a point across and it might be a more serious nature, they'll either exaggerate the hell out of it or they will make it silly in some way. Do you, is, do you, um, do you know what that, I, do, you, do you understand like kind of what I'm saying? Am I saying that correctly? Do you try to make it silly I'm or saying, exaggerate most of the times?
1: This is something that I realized a couple years ago, especially when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in New York, I saw a lot of comics, people do a lot of absurd humor
3: Uh in New York. Okay. A lot of like ridiculous
1: things and I saw a lot of people doing that and getting a lot of laughs and I was like, oh, maybe I should try that. Uh I should try to be absurd and make things more ridiculous. My jokes are maybe too, uh, too conventional maybe. I thought I wasn't doing enough.
3: Yeah. Okay.
1: So I tried to, like, I'm going to make my jokes more ridiculous. I'm going to exaggerate them more. I'm going to make them more absurd. And there, maybe mm-hmm. people will laugh more then. And it did not work. <laughs> at okay. All. All people right. were so confused uh-huh. um, about what I was saying. People were lost. Mm-hmm. And I was lost. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what I eventually realized, because from talking to people, People are like, we don't know what you're, you're like going crazy. I'm like, but that's what people are doing. They're being (laughs) absurd. (laughs) What I eventually realized is that I think some people think that I'm like maybe a little effortlessly funny. That it seems kind of natural and and calm and confident.
0: I get that. But I know that there's a lot of work that went behind that though.
1: I don't, I don't. I don't really relate to that. Hmm. Okay. The thing is, is like, I remember when I was starting to do, when I was, my friends were the ones who encouraged me to do stand up. They told me I was so fucking, I didn't know, I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. They were like, we are the funniest person we know. You're so hilarious, you gotta you should try stand up. And I was like, I'm not funny. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sometimes they would laugh at things, random things that I would say, but I was never saying those things to be funny. Yeah. And what I realized was my perception of when I say something on stage and I have a little bit more Uh, understanding of it now Mm -hmm. but when I say something usually when I say something really funny on stage I'm just trying to be honest Mm -hmm. because what makes sense to me what I think is logical Mm -hmm. is like absurd to other people
2: okay I see what you're saying
1: I naturally exaggerate things, even when I'm being calm.
2: Okay. Even when I'm just
1: being relaxed. Yeah. I exaggerate things, and I'll say crazy stuff, but I'll say it in a calm tone. It's not because I'm trying to understate. It's because it makes sense to me. I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. But other people will be like, that's crazy. (laughs) So (laughs) so people laugh at just normal ideas that I have because – It's absurd to people. So when I was in New York trying, Mm -hmm. my idea of what's absurd is incomprehensible to people. It's not... (laughs) It's too (laughs) far. So, like, I can't... There's no reason for me to make things... Try to make things more absurd because what I'm saying... What I think normally is already absurd, even when I'm calm. Okay. So I don't have to put any kind of effort into it.
0: Okay. Okay, so then where does this... So going based on... Going on this exaggerated... Um, notion and your and the and this um, this um, concept tool that you you developed and this chart that you don't normally do, but it makes sense in this situation. Where does that joke go from here? Are you taking that chart up on stage with you as a reference and then working it out up there? Where will the joke go from this chart to when eventually we'll see it on a on a clip or an album or where it happens to exist or special one day?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm using this chart, something. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> it's like, because it's usually this, like this digital house is big. Mm-hmm. This is not something that I would normally talk about
0: because it's not about you.
1: Yeah. It's not about me. Yeah. So then I'm like trying to work very extra hard to try to make it work. But I don't think
4: it'll work. Even if I got the joke to work, I don't know where I would fit it in to my set.
1: Yeah.
0: Are you doing it because you want the challenge of doing something different? I mean, like you said, this has yeah. nothing to do with you. You want the challenge of see, can I take... It's more of a I, challenge. I like that. I like that. I like that you're Definitely.
1: doing that. Cool, man. Cool, dude. It's more of, a, it's more of an exercise and practice. Like, I, I play street ball, so like I go on the courts and play basketball all the yeah. time. And I work on my shot. I never shoot in the game. <laughs> like, all I do in the game is rebound. <laughs> I
2: do putbacks, backs, layups, yeah. Pass really well out of the post. I
1: never shoot. But when I'm practicing, I'm like, well, work on my shot is yeah. good exercise.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: I might have to shoot in the game. <laughs> but it's like that's what the digital houses thing. is it's like maybe someday I'll end up having to do an hour somewhere and I gotta pull. <laughs> I, I, hope, I, hope,
0: I hope I see <laughs> it man. But, uh, I don't know. Well, so I guess, like, so when you do when you tell jokes on stage, and you kind of pointed this out because you said you talked about your rhythm and the timing that you're very conscious about, and you, you talk about, like, you know, your demeanor, but that you're also paranoid about what the audience is thinking. How do you keep yourself? Because you said very early on you would rush to get to the punchline. But uh-huh. now you take a more deliberate and, um, you know, it's kind of the approach that you have with your students. How do you not get freaked out? if a joke is starting to bomb, especially if if a joke that usually doesn't bomb in other rooms, Mm -hmm. how do you maintain this very level-headed, calm focus throughout the... with all these other things going on, all these other external factors? I don't know. You're a cool guy. You're just just much cooler than me. I don't
1: know. I mean, listen, I've definitely been in situations where... I think for me... Those like really hard shows are not that common.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Most of the time doing comedy, the audience is sitting there waiting for you Mm -hmm. to tell them a funny joke. Okay. And that's, I know I have that. So that's, I guess, where my confidence comes from is like, even sometimes where like the crowd is rowdy, I'm just like, well, eventually they'll settle down Okay. and I'll be able to get into this. But... I'm not going to try to be something else just because they're out of pocket right now. I just, like, it's like the same thing where I talk about basketball. It's like Mm. I'm not a shooter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm not going to start shooting just because people are leaving me open. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. but, you know, I'm going to try to find my spots. I'm going to try to get to my spots and score where I score. Okay. And with with comedy, I just... Sometimes audiences are bad, but I'm not <laughs> going to... I'm not going to change the way I do comedy just because some audiences are bad.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: It's like kind of playing to this very rare situation where... It's shitty. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you guys are shitty, but ninety-eight percent of the times I do comedy, yeah, I don't have this problem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, fair enough. So do you now? Do you record yourself on stage? Like, how do you go back and revisit, especially new bits that you've done? How do you yeah. how do you revisit those bits and how do you work on them to make them better?
1: Yeah, I record everything. I go back. I have. I have probably five gigabytes on my computer of listening notes, where okay. I like go back and listen to a set and take notes.
0: Oh, whoa, whoa! whoa. What do you mean by that? I never heard. No, no one's have talked about listening notes. What, what do you mean by that?
1: I go back and listen to the set. Yeah. And I take notes based on. Oh,
0: you mean like on the whatever. computer then? So you have like an actual yeah. like note? Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I didn't know if you were like talking into. Like you're listening. You're watching yourself on the computer. Have like a dictaphone or something that you were talking into or something. Okay. So you actually take notes. Okay.
1: And I used to do it. It's like how it's evolved. When I used to take, when I first started doing comedy, I would just write down the jokes that I did in the set. Mm -hmm. And I would put stars next to it. This joke gets four stars. This joke gets one star. This joke gets no stars. Mm This joke gets two and a half. So that's how I used to originally do it. And I would just Mm -hmm. be like, all right, these are the good jokes. Mm Mm-hmm. They're the ones that always get three and a half or more stars. Mm -hmm. Those are the jokes that are going into my set. But as I got deeper into it, I would be like, this is the specific thing that I said that got a laugh. Okay. Or these are the two jokes that went together that got a laugh. This is the way I said this word. This is where I said the intonation to get this laugh. So it's gotten more specific.
0: Okay. Alright, and so, so then, do you have then, does your joke develop through certain stages, so if you have a new joke, it starts getting some traction, do you move it into, like, how do you move it into your, like, like from, like, a showcase set to a headline set, like, do, you, do your jokes make a progression throughout your act, like, do they exist? Does a joke have to hit, have to hit like X amount of times for it to be something you would tell at helium or like um, if the joke's funny and an open mic four times and it worked one time at like a bar joke? Will that will that be said then at like a, a club kind of situation or is there any kind of fight like a like a like a journey that your joke yeah. takes from?
1: Yeah, there's only one set that. I'm picky about what jokes I put in it, And that's if I'm auditioning okay. for something. Okay. And then I'll be like, all right, only the consistent jokes that go together go into this set.
0: Okay. But most
1: of the time, I just do the bits that I want to do.
0: Okay. Cool, man. Awesome, dude. Um, so before we get into the compilation kind of questions, I, I want to talk about your career a little bit. So obviously, you, you know, you you are i would say you are a uh, a mainstay in philadelphia i mean you've gotten what second place at philly's funniest a few times right
1: i was second place one time and i was in the finals three times
0: so so what's that like then like does, is, is that how you got into helium by go, by yeah. by placing
1: high into Okay. Yeah, they and, didn't. They didn't know who I was before. Uh, I'd never been there before until I started doing the competition.
0: Okay, because because you're 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 a Delaware. You live in Delaware, but then you would travel uh-huh. to Philly to do shows, um, and then eventually you you met, you went to New York. When when did you decide it was time, to make that trip and and to to get a, a house? To go to New York. Yeah.
1: Um. So that was actually related to Philly's Funniest. Okay. So I was doing Philly's Funniest. I think in twenty seventeen, it was the summer after I got my master's degree. I moved to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and that was the year I got second place. I came second to Abby Rosenquist. Yeah, and uh, you know they have like the judges mm-hmm. that they they bring in guest judges. Yeah. One of the judges was a owner of a comedy club in New York. Okay, and he emailed me got my contact information from helium mm-hmm. he's like i want you to come up to new york and meet with us and i want you to do some sets at our club cool so i went up to the Stan. Mm-hmm. It's the sustained comedy club in new yeah. york it was uh chris italian i went up there i met with them they were like yeah you gotta move to new york you gotta
3: you can't stay in philly okay. <laughs> I
1: was like I was like, all right. And then I went to their club. I did some sets and the sets were like it was awkward. <laughs> Why? Well, never did comedy in a club in New York before. It was weird.
0: What was it? Why was it weird?
1: I don't know. I just was <laughs> like I think I think at that time, this was like twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. I would be funny but not because I knew what I was doing. I had, like, happened upon some funniness.
0: Do <laughs> you believe that? Wait, you believe that? You don't believe that you got you were funny on your own merit?
1: I No, I mean, I was funny on my own merit, but I didn't explicitly know what I was doing. I had just kind of sculpted, like, the echolocation thing. I had yeah. just kind of sculpted this set out of audience reactions I was like this is what's funny Mm -hmm. and I put this together and but I didn't really understand what I was doing it was funny so when I went to New York it was just like I don't know how to make I don't I, I don't know what's funny about me so yeah. it's like I'm just kind uh, of talking and hoping that this is – because I wasn't as comfortable. Well,
0: I mean, you like – but well, I mean, but so – I mean, like, so a, a club owner tells you to move up there, and so you do. But you had a job here in Delaware. So how yeah. – like, so how did you just – did you just quit and leave and come yeah. – wow.
1: Yeah, I gave him my notice. I said I'm going to New York. Well, you know, my – uh that summer – so, like, that – they told me to move up, and but I wasn't comfortable moving at that time. Mm-hmm. I had just bought a car, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to move to New York. I yeah. bought a new car. I had this and stuff. And, um, you know, I was enjoying living in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but I was also, like, could not find work. I didn't know what I was going to do for money. Yeah. I couldn't even make a living in Philadelphia. Yeah. So it was like, how am I going to make a living in New York? And I ended up kind of running back to Delaware with my tail between my legs. And then I got a job at the University of Delaware where I went. And it was a good job. And they were paying me good money. And I was mm-hmm. able to pay my debts. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I can't leave this yeah. to go to New York. But I ended up saving up like $10,000. Nice. And um, that summer, my um, my father died. Oh wow! And um, you know that really pushed me to like think. You know, you know it's time to. I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I was ready to turn thirty. I was like, if I'm going to move to New York, I got to do it now.
3: Yeah, I get that. My dad used
1: to tell me. My dad used to tell me stories. I mean, my dad grew up in the in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I used to drive to New York every weekend.
0: <laughs> what was he? Was he an artist?
1: No, he was oh. like partying. Seventies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he was yeah. like driving to New York every weekend. <laughs> just go up there, park my car, and I'm like, I'm like, my dad was doing going up to New York up and back when he was my age. Why am I still in Delaware? You know, I gotta yeah. sow my oats. I gotta do it. So, you know, after he died, you know, I realized I gotta do this. Okay. This is probably before I get too old. Because right now, I'm just like, I'll never move back to New York.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm really, like, too old to do it now. Um, so I'm just like, I'm glad I did it. It was definitely tough. Yeah. Um, but I had to do it before it was too late. And definitely, I got in at the last minute.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, my gosh, could you imagine being up there during COVID? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, so that's, so that's, I mean, I... I'm trying to piece together my brain. What you just kind of said. So your your father passes away, and you. So you kind of have like a, not a midlife crisis, but you kind of have like you're like you know I think like your more you, you your mortality hit for the first yeah. time in your entire life, and you felt that you've done that you did you feel that like I've not done much with my life and I need to do something and so you felt that New felt York like was...
1: I had to do New York I never yeah. lived there I've never really like put all my all into stand-up and mm-hmm. you know you know I wanted to try it
0: mm-hmm. okay and so would you, and you're not you say you're not do you feel now do you feel that you can still become the comic that you want to be and not be in New York
1: I mean, everything's different now. (laughs) So much has changed in two years. Yeah. Where um, I went to New York because I thought that was where I had to be. Mm -hmm. And now I don't think it matters where you are anymore. Yeah. And it's like there's a different – there's a certain culture in in the New York comedy scene where, you know, people – I saw what people wanted and what people, what there was the gain from New York. Yeah. And there's a couple of different things. You can become a writer on one of these TV shows that mm-hmm. are very political.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can become a regular at a club. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can, you know, be one of these like artsy fartsy weirdos that just kind of wanders around brooklyn <laughs> spouting out mania
3: <laughs>
1: and i really thought about mania. it i was like i don't want any of those things and those are the things that really is like that's what new york affords you yeah do you want to be a club comic mm-hmm. do you want to write for stephen colbert mm-hmm. i don't want to do any of those things
0: okay fair enough
1: so what do I really need to be
0: there for? Fair enough. Um so I guess like um if what is the ultimate goal for you then? If I if, if I was a genie I can give you whatever wish you wanted in comedy, what would be that?
1: Um remember that, if a genie if I if I asked a genie, I would want to learn a lot of different languages.
0: No no, no I'm talking about stand up stand up comedy stand-up comedy way. No,
1: this is is stand-up comedy.
0: Oh, okay. All right. You want to learn? Okay, I'm sorry. I would
1: like to learn a lot of different languages and go around the world being funny and talking to people all over the world.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. How many languages do you know?
1: I know one. <laughs> I know some Spanish. About it. Okay,
0: cool, man. Well, I mean, and do you, do you feel? I guess I guess let me let me go ahead and just ask the ask the ask you the question. By not being in New York, by being in Delaware, and now being maybe a big fish in a in a small pond, being Philadelphia, Delaware, do you feel that this dream of yours has a ceiling now? do you feel that like maybe before you thought that your name would be a part of a Netflix special and now you might be doing, you might be headlining shows, you know, in the Ramada Inn, you know, in Allentown kind of thing. Is that, is, do you, do you feel the ceiling now that you are in Delaware or do you think that the sky's the limit still?
1: I I feel, I feel like there's less of a ceiling. I think if anything COVID has, and especially like COVID and the, and the political environment of uh-huh. this this country has kind of wiped out a lot of what comedy is. <laughs> it's, not, it's like you can do, I just don't think it's worth doing. The, the, yeah. the path that they have yeah. for being a famous comic, it's like you got to make your own path. Some yeah. of my favorite comics are people that kind of like, you know, blaze the trail. I'm yeah. not sure what that trail is for me for, yet. I cool. know that I have to figure that out, but I know I'm not going to follow some conventional path because I just can't bullshit people. <laughs>
2: I'm just not good at it. Yeah.
1: I can't lie to myself. I can't lie to other people. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure out what's honest for me.
0: Well, I, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. I guess I want to ask, did, did, what <laughs> has your dad ever seen you perform? And, oh, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what was his thoughts, like, what was his thoughts when he heard you do comedy? What, like, what kind of feedback did he give you? Maybe, like, the last time. Maybe, he like, the this, last time he did he hear you.
1: This, he My dad was really happy for me that I found something mm-hmm. that cool. I was passionate about. Cool. Um... He was happy for me.
0: Was his death sudden or did you, was it?
1: He got cancer. Oh, okay. died pretty slowly. It was, it was rough.
0: Did you, were you able to have, um, like, were you able to have that moment with him? Were you kind of like.
1: No, because no. he, he had a stroke and he couldn't talk for like the last six months of his life.
0: Okay. Now, in, in that perspective then, and this kind of, um guard that you keep up you know and 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 because you didn't really get that moment with your father do you feel that you are going to going forward be more open with with other people because it seems like you enjoy being on your own terms and and you know even you don't run your jokes by other people unless they specifically ask you like do you see yourself being more open and having more of these kind of uh deeper conversations you know now that you seem like you you have a sense of your mortality that's why you weren't in new york at 30 years old
1: i'm open i'm always willing to talk about talk shop and talk comedy i think the issue is is that i don't think uh i don't think people really understand
0: you you don't people understand you? No. What do they understand? And I,
1: I and I don't know really how to communicate it.
0: <laughs> um huh. I don't know what I guess I don't know what you mean. Um maybe that maybe that's what you mean. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. It's, it's complicated. Like I just uh, I um uh I've, I've had a lot of, like today I just got, uh, I went to the dentist today. Mm-hmm. I got this tooth molded over. I got okay. a cap on this tooth. okay I've had like really fucked up teeth for like a long oh, time. Oh,
3: really? Like, Odd,
1: like, no. Rotten. I don't think most people can notice it because I don't smile that
3: much. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: uh. I'm like thinking now just like, you know, I want to get my teeth fixed. I want to get some of these dents fixed on my car. I want to get my own place. I want to have my own life. Um, I think I've been just kind of fucking around for the last 10 years. Interesting. And I'm kind of ready to become an adult.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. And
1: uh, I'm not sure... I'm finally in my... I think I sought out stand-up comedy because I got respect from it. Uh I felt accepted for who I was. Uh And now, for the first time ever, I'm starting to feel professionally at my job, in my career, feel respected and appreciated for who I am as a creative individual. And I'm starting to see more opportunities there. So now I'm thinking... Do I need to do stand-up? Oh, Can wow. Can I still be the funny, creative person I am?
0: So you're talking about your day job so. now. You're talking about your day job that you get. Not, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking yeah, about Yeah, okay.
1: but I see it becoming so much more. Okay. I mean, some of the opportunities I'm seeing on the horizon, you know, we're having a professional development retreat on Friday, and I'm being asked to present. Wow. At the PD, um, from some new things that I've been using in my classroom, I just talked about it. And they were like, we want you to show us how you do this.
2: Awesome.
1: I created a class. I created a whole class. It was just voted to be accredited by the faculty.
2: Awesome.
1: Um, I have a new part-time job where I just find very intellectually challenging and interesting. And I have another job that I'm applying for that... I think would really take my skills as a writer uh-huh. and as a creative person and as a language teacher and put it on an international scale.
0: Interesting. So you're you're actually and considering walking away from stand-up comedy for good.
1: I think I'm walking away from the stand-up comedy business. I'm not walking away from being a funny person. Who, yeah. Like I still see myself, even if I go deep into language learning, uh, language teaching, and teaching and education, I still see myself being a person that's going to travel around the world talking about this in front of mm-hmm. audiences and being a public front person. Wow. So I still get to be funny and, yeah. and talk, but I don't have to be a clown for people, and I yeah. don't have to perform for drink tickets and chicken
0: fingers. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's big. That's a big moment. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. Well, well, good luck, dude. That's awesome. I'm, I'm Thank happy you. to hear that your, your outside comedy life, whatever, whatever that's considered, uh, uh, is going very well. That's awesome, man. You're certainly yeah, good yeah, dude. I deserve it. it. Yeah. Uh, Brad, this was awesome, man. I appreciate. it. I wrote down something here. And I want to see. I'm going to ask you the question, and then I'll tell you who I wrote down here. And I, 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 and this is probably a weird, maybe a loaded, a loaded thing to put down at the end of the interview. But if you had to pick somebody famous that you that you are like, do you know who that would be? Do you know who I might write down as someone who I think that you are like? I put James Baldwin, man. I you get you James Baldwin, James Baldwin man. You give me such like insightful vibe, man. You're so. You're, you're, the way that you just say things are so clear and it's just, you know, you have so much to say and it comes, even though you and I are very two very different people, I can relate to the <laughs> stuff that you say and I can really get on your level and it's, and you have a really great way of saying it. It's not, you don't say it like in a, in a totally like insane or what you say mania way. Like it comes off super smart, super clever and, like, I, I get, like, you know, the demographic, differ, you know, similar between you and James Baldwin, but it's, like, at the same time, it's, like, I think he's one of the best writers of all time. I think you're one of the best joke writers that I know. So, I or what you think of that man yourself. I was offensive to you. I but.
1: mean, James Baldwin is definitely someone that I really admire. Yeah. I've never really read a lot of his writing. Oh, you have I, doc- I watched a documentary okay. about him. Yeah. It was on Netflix. It was really good. It's yeah. really inspiring. Yeah. Um but, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, the punch in the punchline comes from clarity.
2: Yeah, yeah. When you're
1: clear, um, people can understand you, and uh-huh. that, that's that's the, the straight line to the part of their brain that yeah. makes them laugh.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just just the way he carried himself, too. I mean, he never, he never sacrificed anything for a cheap, I mean, obviously not not a laugh on his end, but I don't know what yeah. the equivalent for an author cheap thing would be. But uh, but um, but yeah, man, I could
1: Read Twilight. <laughs> <He
0: could've laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, that, exactly that. Of that. Like that. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time, man. I super appreciate it. this was. I could talk to you for two more hours. Um, you this was fantastic. I learned so much from you, and uh, I hope you don't quit comedy, but it has nothing to do with me. So. But I, I respect am not
1: going to quit I'm not going to quit being funny. I didn't
0: say that. I didn't say that. Don't, I, I don't quit, quit I being a quit comic. This, <laughs> i quit this business. <laughs> I can't live off contenders. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, hey, thank you so much again. I'll be safe, man. I hope to see you in person soon, man. Always enjoy your time with you, so.
3: thanks,
0: man. See, see ya, buddy. Take care, man. I'll see ya. Bye. Peace.
3: See ya. All, right, All right, that was my time, time. Thank, thank you very you, much. You. <laughs>
0: That's our interview with Brandon. What a great guest he was. I mean, it was the way that he just, you know, sees comedy, sees life, is super unique, and I appreciated his uh, his take, especially when he was talking about echolocation. Just an incredible analogy that um so glad I got to sit down and, and hear him talk. Please check out his podcast, English for criminals. Check out his debut stand-up recording in January, and uh go ahead and subscribe to this channel, help me out a little bit. Like, to like some of these videos. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Mark Stonemar. Take care.